Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Welcome to today's podcast. Regular listeners will often hear me use the word resilience. For me, resilience is one of the critical traits in business, which ultimately means, you know, the the ability to step up, step forward, continue to keep the momentum and the movement in a forward sort of way is not for the faint-hearted. However, today, I'd like to introduce you to someone who has their own definition of resilience. Nick Farr, regarded as one of Australia's most accomplished high-altitude athletes and leadership development coaches, Nick has climbed many of the world's highest mountains, including Mount Everest. He is a former Victoria Police detective and one of Australia's favourite speakers on the topic and the, and, and the conversation revolving resilience. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Very Welcome good, to the Stephen. BBG Great Australian Stories podcasting series. How are you? I'm well, mate. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Nah, good to have you here, mate. And um, I know um, it's been a tricky year for you, as it has been for most. This COVID uh, 2020 year has uh, taught us many things. However, what has been your biggest roadblock in business or life, and how did you overcome it? And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about the full shellacking, mate. Yeah, look, I didn't have to think hard about this one. Um, You know, I, I had a police career for 20 years, And I became a very young detective and I really enjoyed it and um, for a lot of years, but I became increasingly, I guess, disengaged um, and I started to stop enjoying it. And, and I probably spent two or the last two or three years of my life um, in Victoria police feeling that way, but not knowing really what to do or how to, how to deal with it. Um, you know, you can get very comfortable in a in a government job, I guess, and you know, having left school and getting into into the police very young, um, at nineteen and a half, you become very accustomed to the to the um, to the conditions that you enjoy, a regular salary, lots of uh, lots of time off, lots of leave. Um, you know, great used to work with some great people. So it was a very comfortable existence, but I, but it really I started to to move away from that the person that I was and the experiences I was having in life. So it was really hard when I was really getting confronted with the the idea of having to say goodbye to all that comfort and certainty um, that I had, and sort of you know creating a new life. So that was that was definitely the biggest challenge. I mean, I've always said the most courageous thing I've ever done in my life was was to leave a 20 year career that, you know, was really had me set up for life. Um, but, but it wasn't me anymore. I had to, you know, it wasn't fulfilling my meaning, the purpose, what I think I was, I'm, I'm here to do. Yeah. And, and no two ways about it. I mean, you know, 20, 20 years is a long time, particularly in a very structured, I would suppose, um, environment such as the police force and what you get um, conditioned for and, and whatever. So stepping away from that is a very, 
courageous and, and no two ways about it. Um, um, it's, it's actually going anti what most people would do. So whether it's in the police force or anything else. So again, a massive, um, a massive level of resilience and courage to, to move away from that. However, for those listening who don't know you, um, Give us a snapshot of you and what a day in the life looks like for you. Of course, let, let's go 12 months backwards and not mm. so much COVID, although we will cover a bit of COVID in a moment. But um, what does a typical day look like for you in a normal in a normal setting as it relates to here is Nick Farr, this is what he does, and this is how he goes about his day, his month, his year? Oh, look, I've been really, really fortunate, Stefan, and pre-COVID, um, I've, I've been very active in, a, in, in three businesses, two for a long period of time. I've had a run a guided and um, instructional uh, ski program in Colorado uh, for 25 years. This year was our 25th anniversary, so certainly has had some longevity with that. And I ran that side by side um, when, I was, when I was in the uh, police for the last 10 years of my career, using the leave and, and what have you. Also, uh, since 2006, I've... I've um, operated with my partner in Nepal, a trekking and climbing um, a business over there, an agency. So, you know, we're a tour operator and we basically run, um, you know, trekking and mountaineering expeditions, uh, predominantly for Australians. Um, we've got an office in Kathmandu, but, you know, we, we take a lot of people every year and, and we expose them to the, to the incredible place that Nepal is and lead them on a lot of trips. So, that's really my main work since I'd left the police running an Nepal operation, running my ski business. And in the last, and I did have another business um, that started to work into, um, it was a leadership de- uh, development consultancy called the Everest Academy. But I moved away from that and started working with David Butterford. Um, we set up the resilience, uh, resilience builders. So we've really worked in, in that space, running programs for, for schools, for families, for corporates, you know, leadership programs, workshops, and more recently, um, you know, webinars because we can't go and see anyone and we can't go anywhere at the moment. So, so at the moment, that's, that's my main bread and butter, um, running those programs online um, and the other stuff, sadly, is on hold. Yeah, and, and, and ultimately, as it relates to, uh, I guess, for many of us and definitely in what you're sharing and the type of business you're in, um, the learnings this year, the learnings throughout COVID, but what it also sets us up for in the next um, period, and, and, and many of us are not really clear about that, what would you say has been your number one biggest learning in business or life and how has it helped you shape you and your business to be prepared for a 2020 yeah, look, uh, that's a pretty easy one too. And, uh, and in two words, it's take risks. Um, you know, the ability to take risks. John Maxwell, who is a, you've heard me reference him before, a leadership, a um, uh, very respected um, leadership facilitator, speaker in the US. Um, he has got a quote that is everything worthwhile is uphill. And I really like that because I've spent a lot of time walking up hills and climbing up hills. So it sits very well with me. You know, if it's, if it's worthwhile, it's not going to be, if it's truly worthwhile, um, generally it's not going to be easy to attain. And we've got a little, there's a little bit of a, um, a saying in mountaineering, um, 
it's always further than it looks, it's taller than it looks, and it's always harder than it looks. If you spend enough time in the mountains, you get used to that. So, you know, that's probably been something that has really helped me understand and be prepared for the fact that um, stuff isn't going to be easy. Getting, you know, getting to a meaningful point B from point A, something that's worthwhile and something that's, that's, um, that's you know, if you're, if you're accomplishing good things and goals, then they take effort and they take perseverance. So, you know, that's, um, that's my number, number, number one learning really. And it segues from when I exited the police force because I had to take a big leap of faith um, when I left that organization that I was going to, you know, I, I was going to sink or swim for a while and it was a risk. And at the time I didn't know how it played, played out. I had a lot of self-belief, but of course you don't know um, when you do that. You know, I love that, Nick. Um, you know, anything worthwhile um, is uphill and it takes effort and perseverance, which means if it was meant to be easy, everyone would be doing it. So I <laughs> yeah, love the whole take risk thing you just mentioned there and everything that it comes from that. What prompted you to start on a journey of merging, again, the, uh, the passion and the love for high-altitude environments um, and ultimately serving um, your business, serving family skills, and, 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 and high net worth individuals. When you think about Colorado, that's not a cheap trip is my perception. However, you've merged something as a passion to serve, you know, those that are adventurous and or are looking for a challenge and those that are looking at doing things at the highest level. Um, what prompted you to start that journey and merging passion and um, a business? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll delineate the two because, because the Colorado ski business um, – came first and that was really based on just a passion and a love of skiing. I grew up skiing and, and I wanted to find, a, you know, initially a way that I could go skiing overseas and not have to pay for it, to be quite honest, you know, fund a very, a, what was a very expensive pursuit. Um, so I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, you know, uh, learning how to be a ski instructor and I worked at Mount Hotham and I went overseas and did a lot of courses and, and that was, that sort of followed on from that. I think what we're doing more recently, running programs, um, workshops, webinars for, for a whole range of different demographics um, in the leadership and resilience de development space, that was, that was really inspired by, I guess, you know, I was going back and I've been very active in Nepal now for 20 years. And, and, and when we started running trips and operating commercially over there, I mean, I certainly felt the shift that, that I was getting in myself. And that, and that was one of the reasons that I really started to see that I needed to change something significant in my life in terms of my work and, and what I was doing. And that's, and that was that shift and that in, you know, I guess that insight um, into what, into what was meaningful and purposeful to me is why I ultimately ended up leaving Victoria police. And then when we started operating commercially, um, I started to see that more significantly, I think in other people just, and very quickly, you know, so we'd take people, people would come away and they'd come on a trek with us or they might be doing something bigger. But the impact of that and the way that experience would start to resonate them and, and cause them to review what was important in their life, um, what did they want from their life, what changes did they, did they want to make. And almost without exception, everyone that would come away, you'd start to see that they it started to, to cause it a different way of thinking for them. And sometimes that, that would be resonating for them even on the way back, like you might spend for argument's sake 
10 days getting to Everest Base Camp. And then even on the descent, you could see that they'd be asking different questions and, and talking about the significance of the experience. And then and often people would get home and two or three months later, I'd start getting emails and, wow, this, this experience has really changed the way I see the world. And so it was really that and getting motivated and inspired to want to wanna develop that, facilitate that in people. Um, so it was, it was the programs and that experiential side of, uh, of, the, of, of the business that came first, um, way before sort of in-house workshops and, and webinars and things like that. So, you know, you know, for me, that was really powerful and it was really rewarding and fulfilling to sort of be able to create that experience for people, see the shift, the positive shift and change it would bring about um, in their life and, so we started to look at a, at, a, at a way to be able to do it, you know. Yeah, no, and it's, it's, it's interesting how you were just sharing that, Nick, and, and again, on my own, um, within our, my own journey and, and obviously being in the business, um, we're in a business benchmark group. I just, you get, it's almost like an addiction, the transformation you see in people, mm. those that truly go on a journey, which... You know, you're just one part of one element of a transformation. You know, in your case, you're leading people in Nepal or giving them an opportunity to be skiing at the best uh, mountains on, on um, you know, in, in a beautiful place of the world in Colorado. But when you watch the when, – when you have the epiphany of transformation and, and you're just one part of that initiative, mm. it's, it's quite um, – it, it's addictive. I mean, that's the way I find it anyway. And um, it keeps you coming back. Well, I know for me, it keeps me very young and very, uh, very energetic and um, it is uh, very powerful. So I thank you for sharing that. Um, just, just before I move on to the next question, then, um, what is it that you could give as a piece of advice for those that, again, you know, it may not be the police force. It might be a different journey that they're on as it relates to their career or, or their current business, but it doesn't juice them up anymore. It doesn't give them that sense of, you know, there's a raging fire in their belly. What would you say in less, in 10 or 20 words or less, what is the piece of advice you'd give someone that's got, you know, they've lost the passion, they've lost the love, they've lost, they've lost identity for what it is that they do, but there is something left of centre that they could do and turn it into a commercial enterprise for which will juice them up and get that fire burning again. What is the advice you can give as you've crossed that bridge what can you give someone in 10 words or less as it relates to that? You've heard me talk about this a lot, Stefan. Know your why. What matters most to you? You know, you've got to delve in and, and really look at what is it that matters most to you. And we've, uh, we've used slides and there's, a, there's, a, there's 72 different descriptors on one of our slides that we use. You know, they, they might be intrinsic or extrinsic. Um, they might relate to achievement. They might relate to community doesn't really matter, but you've got to, you know, and, and you hear the contemporaries like Simon Sinek that a lot of people are familiar with talking about, you know, it all starts with your why. Well, you know, 3,000 years before him, there was Aristotle and the ancient Greek philosophers, and they were, they were all questioning man's search for meaning, you know. You've got to find what it is that, that you're prepared to, to, to suffer for and not give into. You know, what is it that's really going to... to give you that purpose and meaning in your life. And it's not easy always, you know, that's not an easy question to consider if you haven't, if you haven't considered it. And we talk about, 
going on that spiritual journey all the time. Sometimes, and, if, and if you're trying to work that out in the, in the busyness of your everyday life, very, very hard to do. You need some stillness. You need some reflection time. You need to be able to perhaps go somewhere for a couple of days, a week, two weeks, whatever. That's what happened to me. I mean, and I say that from a personal experience because I was very happy in my my police career and what I was doing and where I was going. But the more I started getting away and and spending time in the mountains and traveling and, and this, this was the, it was the stillness and the reflection time I was getting, especially in Nepal to go, wow, no, there's, I, I want something different now. I need, I need, I need something different, you know, know your why, understand what's important. Yeah. And, and there is definitely a difference between being clear about your purpose and needing something new. There is a distinction mm. between those two forks in the road. And typically, if you're wanting something new, it's been something that's been a, in my opinion, an anchor for many years. But being clear about your purpose at, at certain stages of your life is a very different, I think a very different privilege that can only be served. It's a drink you can only drink with stillness and reflection being on your side. No two ways about it. Yeah, and we, and we hear all the time, mate, people go away to places and they'll say, hey, that was life-changing. That was a life-changing. Oh, that, you know, Nepal's life-changing. Guess what? Climbing a mountain or going for a walk isn't the life-changing thing in Nepal. It's the fact that you are away, undistracted, and you've got a new type of focus and you get that stillness, you get that quiet time, you get that reflection time, you get that different look at the world because you've removed yourself into this, into this place that gives you that opportunity. So whilst everything that's there is fantastic um, and rewarding and exciting, and for a lot of people new, if it's the first time, it's, it's, I firmly believe it's that quiet, reflective time that they get. It's, they, they get stripped back, you get a very simple life, and you get to, you get to find out what's important, you know. Absolutely you do. I'm also going to go as far as saying, you know, um, surrounding yourself with the right people, you know, what goes in is ultimately what goes out as it relates to our brain, the way we we think and reflect and, and ultimately believe, which, which are all critical traits for a journey and a life worth living. Um, so yeah, no, really good. I mean, that's almost a podcast in its own right, but, um, I I love going on these journeys, um, as it relates to speaking to people like you, Nick, who, who get it, you know, purpose and why, and and you're right, you know, when we go back to the start and we're talking thousands of years, the more, um, the more clear you are about your destination, the easier it is to say, Hey, am I on the right track or not? Versus we're on the road of busyness or, I'm doing something because someone says this is the way I need to do it. And I don't know whether it's the right thing for me. So really good stuff. So what are you most proud of in your life? I mean, here's a life that you have in, in every aspect since a 19 year old that got off to a, a career start in the police force. You've always been serving. When you think about your life, Nick, and you think about the three businesses that you've shared that you've in one way or another participated in, and your 20 years, I mean, we're talking a 1,000 weeks in the force as a detective. 
in a period, let's just say, that was quite interesting here in Victoria. And yeah, you're, in the, you're, yeah. you're in the uh, epicenter of all that. And I don't want to go there specifically, but I, uh, I'm just thinking of your day one as it relates to adulthood and making ends meet, your career and your journey, you have always been serving. So what are you most proud of at this point in your life? And what would you say at this point is your number one legacy? Yeah, okay. So, look, uh, um, I'm very proud of, of my kids and my family. And, I'm, and, and I know a lot of people say that, but I want to give some context to it because I, I'm an old dad. Um, I started late. I didn't have kids when I was in the, um, in the police. And it was only when I left the police that, that, um, that I started that family journey. And, you know, and I, and I didn't have them earlier for a whole lot of reasons. I was too immature. I was too selfish. I was too self-consumed. I was having too much fun and, you know, a myriad of reasons. But, but I'm really fortunate, I think, that I didn't have that family. For me, it wouldn't have worked to have it early. I couldn't have given the time to it um, that I'm able to do now. I couldn't have had the experiences with, you know, we have breakfast most mornings together, the kids, we have dinner together every night. And if you're a detective in the police, um, at busy places where I worked, you just, you're on a roster and that's, and that's rare. And, and I've, you know, my hat goes off to a lot of the incredibly good female operators that I worked with that were juggling kids, family, um, some of them single mums, you know, and, and they know who they are if they ever hear this. Just, you know, I've said to them, with the benefit of hindsight, how did you ever do it? You know, how you ever did that is just amazing. So, look, I'm very, um, I'm, I'm really proud of where I sit with my family now. And I'm lucky that I started later because, like I said, I don't think it would have been very successful. I would have had a successful family structure if I'd, I'd done it earlier and when you talk about legacy well your family is always your legacy but there's something else um that i that i'm really proud of and and, and it's it hasn't been a solo effort but since i started work started going to nepal and had some adversity there you know in the early days way back in 2003 and and that led on to forming some really amazing relationships with some sherpa families the Sherpa people, and they're the ones that, that I ultimately established the business with over there. Um, as 50-50 partners too, by the way. Um, so they've very got a lot of ownership, a lot of investment in it. But what we've started to see now, you know, 14 years down the track, is we've seen real generational change with these families. And this is something that, that has come about through an enormous um, investment. Um, and, and that part of that's been financial, but... Um, there's also been a lot of emotional investment um, and it's not just on me. We've created a, a, a business, um, Trek Climb Ski Nepal is, is the business and we've, take, we've sent a lot of people to Nepal and they've all got invested in our community and, and they're all helping now in a lot of ways and importantly um, financially because during COVID all our people over there aren't working, you know, to really support um, our families over there and to give them, you know, basic um, things that we take for granted in Australia, like, like food and education and shelter and health. And when the earthquakes hit, they rallied really hard and, and, and dug deep for that. And now that COVID's hit, the same thing. And we're seeing now a lot of the kids that would never have ended up at good schools starting to f finish their schooling journey 
and the next wave coming through. So, um, yeah, it's generational change on a small scale. Um, we've always sort of said, well, we're probably not going to be able to save the world, but if we can make some difference to, to a few people, that's, that's really good. So, yeah, I'm immensely proud of that. And that's, and that's the legacy of all the time in Nepal. Not, it's not climbing big mountains. and I mean, that's fantastic. It's great personal challenge and personal, you know, achievement, I guess, in doing that. But it's, it's the fact that when I'm long gone, mate, hopefully there'll be uh, a lot of families over there doing very, very well, continuing uh, to be to be have ownership over their, over their livelihoods. I love that. And just for the record, um, how many children, Nick? Have I got two? Yeah, two. Beautiful. Well done. How old are they? Uh, 11 and 8. Ah, lovely. Fun ages, mate. Trust yes. me. Enjoy. <laughs> they, get, they, tu- they turn 17 and 15 at some point, and uh, that's fun mm. too, but a different type of fun. <laughs> yeah. So on, 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 the, uh, on, on the journey of 17-year-olds, if you could go back to tell your 17-year-old self three yeah. things what would they be? So let's transport you back. I know it's a long time, mate. Sorry to do this to you. It's about 4,000 weeks ago. Mm. <laughs> if you were 17 years old right now, what would you be saying to yourself as it relates to three things and what would they be? Well, the first two are really easy for me. Um, that would be spend a bit more time getting uncomfortable because I could have I probably um, short, taken a nice little shortcut there if I'd, uh, if I'd embraced that a bit earlier instead of always looking for the easy option and procrastinating. So, yeah, definitely spend some more time getting uncomfortable. Um, you know, something that I, that I try to encourage with my kids, and they're not quite across it yet, is do the hard things first. So if you've got 10 things on your plate, you know, if you're studying, if you've got chores, if you've got – if there's things you need to do, um, prioritise and get rid of the hard thing first because while you've still got that hard thing sitting there, um, it's, it's a blocker. It, it's a blocker and it, it can mentally derail you. It certainly did with me. So they're two things. And look, as for the third, geez, I don't know, Stefan, um, there's so many different things. You know, I probably wished when I was young, I, I read a bit and then I stopped reading. And as I've got older, I, I read a lot more. Um, you know, working with butters, you just have to do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm really learning a lot of stuff at a, at a, at a more mature age through, through reading and, and wanting to, to start learning again. I think there was a long period of my life where I stopped learning. I, you know, I, I joined the police force. I had to learn a lot. I became a detective. I had to learn a lot. Then it was kind of like that plateaued. So, you know, you know, strive to be a lifelong learner um, is, is probably a lesson that I'm learning more now as I get older because I'm getting a lot of fulfilment from it and I'm, and I'm finding I'm, I'm, it's helping me pivot, especially now in this difficult situation that we're all facing. Um, yeah, so I know they're not that exciting, but, um, yeah, they're probably three things. Mate, they're priceless. I mean, you know, deal with procrastination, do the hard things first, and uh, be a lifelong learner. I reckon they're <laughs> made. <laughs> if every seventeen-year-old could sort of uh, <laughs> take those long. three on board, I think we're going to, uh, you know, be, be in a good place in twenty years' time. Uh, if, if you could remove all barriers and constraints, what project would you do, and why? Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Um, and I, I'd probably, you know, 
about 10 years ago, I had this idea and the size and the logistics of the scale of it, but I'd love to be able to, to build a center somewhere in the Everest region um, in the Nepal Himalaya, you know, the resilience builder center for growth or whatever it is that we could use as a base to take people over that could employ a lot of the local people, a lot of the guides, especially in the quieter times um, because they're really, they're heavily affected by the tourist season. And, um, but I think you could create an amazing learning facility and that, and that look, and that's because that's an, that's, that's an area that I've become very comfortable with and I love, but I can see the, the, benefits that people have that go there so I've you know sort of had had the idea for a long time that that if money wasn't a problem if uh, logistics wasn't a problem you know to build some type of center learning facility a big lodge that we could use as a base over there and people could go and get immersed in for you know for two or three weeks and then come home um, you know That'd, that'd be that'd be fantastic, mate. Sign if, you know me up. Any, if you know anyone who wants to find mate, so, so, sign me up. I, mean, I think that's a uh, <laughs> I think that's an awesome uh, vision, and you know, it all starts with why, Nick. Ooh. I think there's a there's an awesome um, opportunity as a project that again you 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 just need to uh, take the first or second step on that. I think that's. Um, that's an amazing um, project with all its upside, pretty clear to understand. And uh, I think that's a fairly, that's an amazing project. And I do know a few people, but I also know you. So get us started, mate. Uh, what's the biggest surprise you've had in business or life? And why do you, uh, why do you call that or, or, or claim that to be the biggest surprise? Well, the biggest surprise hands down, mate, was being told that I was going to have a child. <laughs> okay, tell us more. Well, you know, life was on a pretty even trajectory and and uh, one day it was announced that we were having a baby and um, didn't quite know how to respond to it. As I said, I'd been living this selfish, self-centred, life for a long time that really only had to cater to myself and um you know no one else and then that's that's when you do a 360 isn't it so well it is it is but but, but in your case i guess um here it is and what was the uh what was the re what was the first point of readjustment because that is like you know it's it's this is definitely life-changing and um so what was the personal readjustment as it relates to that uh, magnificent news. Well, it's gradual, isn't it? Like it's, it's gradual readjustment. You start to, to think about what it involves and, uh, and, and, you know, look, for me, there was a lot of it. There was a lot of adjustment at that time because I'd, I'd just exited Victoria police. Um, I'd, I'd been in a relationship for a long time that had ended and I'd found my new partner who is now my wife. Um, you know, I'd actually made the decision shortly after that to move to a part of Melbourne that I'd never lived in, never been to really, because it was, this was like the totally fresh start in my life. So I had a new partner, I was living in a new place, um, I had a baby on the way, 
wow, it all just happened. It, it all just happened at once. And it was all part of that, just going with the flow and taking risks and, 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 and just seeing where it took me. And it was the first time in my life I'd really probably, probably ever done that. Just really just not had a structure that I was following. Um, yeah. So now I've, I've sort of live on, been living on, on the other side of town for, for more than 10 years and got a new community and, and, you know, and it's just another example of how adaptable we are as people, um, how flexible we are and, you know, you, yeah, it's, it's been very fulfilling. And, and if you think about, you know, your, uh, your reference point for a 17 year old Nick Farr, you know, don't procrastinate, get on with it, be uncomfortable, you know, and you think about what you just shared there and the unfamiliar and the unknown, Mm. And the uncertain to a certain degree, they're, uh, they're, they're very empowering as in, you know, when you go on that journey of any word that starts with a U and an N, I mean, the upside and the uplift on that is just unbelievable. And uh, you've got to be prepared to go on that journey. So interesting that all that played out in a period in your life that uh, certainly was surrounded by, hey, mate, you're going to be a dad as well. Mm. Just interesting to see how the law of uh, vacuum and gravity works as it relates mm. to that, sh- that sharing. Really mm. cool. Um, do you have any secret routines that help you stay productive? Well, look, I feel... Uh, I don't think it's so much a routine. Um, you know, I know that for me to have a productive day, it's, it's got to it's gotta start a certain way. I've got to get up early. I've got to be outside. I've got to do some exercise. Um, you know, at the moment that's been more challenging. I've got to go for a walk. I've got to take the dog, you know, a, a productive day for me, Stefan, look, it looks like getting up at five o'clock, um, spending an hour or so, hour and a half, maybe getting some of those menial administrative tasks taken care of. Am I proud of the fact that often that's getting up, getting on the computer, doing an hour and a half straight away. No, not really. But for me to do that, have a little bit of a look at what has to be done, then get outside for an hour, hour and a half. Um, Then I'm set up. Then I come back and, you know, by that stage the kids are up and we're having brekkie and, um, and then I just feel really good. I can, can have a shower, launch into work. Um, At the moment, our whole routines have been turned upside down. So, you know, part of the, the routine that you have to do is to, to hear what I've talked about, how liberating it's been losing that structure in my life. But right at the moment, during the COVID landscape, having some structure in your life, I'm finding is very important and a real key to being productive because we've, we've kind of lost that ability to be, to be spontaneous at the moment. Really. And when you've got kids that are, that are busy and, and are at home and you're juggling homeschooling and all those other different things at the moment, you've, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have, have a routine. And, um, you know, so that's really what it looks like to me. If I'm going to have a productive day, I'll be up early, bit of work, podcast, go for a work, a walk, sorry, take the dog, some form of physical activity. Um, doesn't always end in a cold water immersion. And I know why that'll make you laugh. Um, <laughs> my business partner's right into that. Sometimes it does. 
<laughs> but that, that's for extreme. <laughs> that's for extreme people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to have some time for yourself at the start of the day. If you just, if you just get on that treadmill, mate, before having any reflection time, you know, it's very important that you get that thinking and reflection time, as long as the action and doing time. You know, you've, we're doing, we're working, we're juggling. You know you still need that stillness. You still need that quietness in your day. Now we can't get on a plane and go and get that somewhere. So the key to that is just giving yourself something. And the morning's the best time to do it. It doesn't have to be the morning. It doesn't suit everybody, but for me it does. It just keeps it off the right way. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. Uh, what's been your biggest failure in the last year? And, and yeah, that could incorporate a little bit of uh, the COVID stuff, but what's been your biggest failure in the last year and why do you think that happened? Well, look, I think, I think for me it's, it's been not having a plan B for, for my businesses for, for, um, and not necessarily what we do in America, but for, for Trek Climb Schooner Paul. And the reason I say that is because there are a lot of livelihoods at stake there and a lot of communities that, that rely on us um, to be able to, you know, earn money, buy food, pay bills. And I think when COVID happened and it became pretty clear that um, these guys weren't going to have any work or a meaningful livelihood for a while, I just thought, oh, then you think, well, how could I have prepared for that? How could I have planned for that? Um, you know, you don't, you don't, I don't think there's many people that factored a pandemic into their, into their business plan. But for us, for, for me, you know, I'm confident I'll, I'll find a way. And, and let's face it, in, in this country, we're very lucky. We've got a lot of government support, a lot of financial support, um, to help us deal with those challenges, but over there they didn't. So, you know, I've always looked at failure as being a learning opportunity and really that's part of the whole resilience um, philosophy that we have is that you're going to come up against adversity, you're going to come up against obstacles, um, you've got to visualise and anticipate those and just it's natural, it's just, this is how life is, you know, build, build, build your capacity to be able to deal with that. Um, but we hadn't really built our capacity for, to, to help our people over there deal with it. So, yeah, that was a, an oversight um, to some degree. But as I said earlier, our community has really rallied and, and those, those people are really being looked after now. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not having a plan B there, mate. Yeah, and and yeah, no, well, well said. And and again, the the strength in a pivot, the strength of adaptability and flexibility is where the mastery is right now. There's no two ways about that. What makes you feel inspired or like as it relates to your best self? What yeah, what, what makes you what what gets you juiced up? My best your... self is going on a holiday with the kids. You know, family. Whether we're going skiing or camping or, um, you know, we love to get away to Fiji, very lucky. Um, I'd, I'd never been on a beach holiday until I got married in my life, never. Always the snow, always the mountains. And uh, I never, because I've just always, I've always been active and 
the whole notion of just going and lying on a beach, but geez, it's something I love doing now. Um, <laughs> but you know, being, being away, having that time to, yeah, just be, you know, we, we love to travel a lot. We're very fortunate. We get down to Tassie a lot. Um, um, my wife's from Tasmania, so we get down there and take the kids down there and it's just a different pace down there. Um, and, and that's really, that's, that's, I think my best self when, when we're in the mountains, when we're having those activities, it, no one's on devices. No one needs to be on an iPad or a computer or kids are just being kids. Um, yeah, it's very rewarding. Our kids know, our kids know Stefan that if we go to somewhere like Fiji, they can have the iPad on the plane and the minute we get off the plane, it's in the safe and then they get it when they get on the plane on the way home. I love that rule. And that's it. And that's it. And that's all they need because it doesn't, it only takes a small amount of time for them to detox. And then they're back to swimming, running, you know, snorkeling, paddling, all that stuff. Or if, or if we're in a snow environment being outside anyway. So. Yeah, no, no, beautiful, uh, beautiful pointers there, mate, for uh, young, young, young children, uh, parents who somehow put an iPad in front of their kids to uh, somehow buy their own time back. And it's like, oh, that's going to play back at some point that you're not going to be, you're going to be out of control with. If you could have a dinner party and we're nearly there, we're nearly done. Good sharing, mate. Really love um, your, uh, your, 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 your authenticity thus far. But if you could have a dinner party with just three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why did you choose them? Yeah, well, that that's a hard one. That's a really, really hard one because there would be so many people. Um, but if I had to narrow it down, I think as an athlete, um, I think Michael Phelps has has always been at the top of my list to achieve what he's been able to achieve. He must have some amazing discipline strategies. He must know his why. He must have some amazing routines and you learn of some of them. And I've, I've listened to a lot of his interviews and, and read a lot of his stuff, but I think there'd be a lot more you could really learn if, if, if he was prepared to give you a real audience. Um, yeah, you don't become the most winningest Olympian by not having a lot of, well, by not having everything right. And I, th- and I think it's that discipline and that ability to, to just keep putting in the effort day after day after day after day. Um, so he'd be one. Uh, Al Pacino was a pretty easy one, um, you know. And more for probably, you know, some of those very early movies, you know, and Justice for All, Dog Day Afternoon, they were films that just, I, I was very, um, really resonated with me from a young age, this guy's. And then obviously you get onto well, Scarface, he was very young and those ones, but but even some of the more recent films that he's done, you think, geez, he's still he's still got it and the and I love seeing him in the coffee ads and Yeah, I've just always anything that's got Al Pacino in it, there isn't a bad film really. Um and the third one would be Kirk Cobain. Wow. And the reason it's Kirk Cobain is because well I got I, I had, to, I had piano force fed to me when I was at school and I blew up and I just hated music. <laughs> and um, so I did a lot of, lot of 
piano. And, but then, I, as I said, I just, you know, just that strict practice regimen that I had to do, I eventually yeah, imploded. So I didn't, I just didn't have anything to do with music. And it was really that early, that grunge scene, you know, early 90s that really, really made me fascinated about music. And it inspired me to take up the guitar um, and to learn guitar. And, you know, I got to be very bad at guitar, but um, I was really inspired by that music, Nirvana and um, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all those bands that were coming out around then. And I loved it. I loved it, Stefan. And I had a, you know, a bit of a dodgy cover band for a while and we played all that stuff. And, and it just, you know, I, I remember I'd be working, you know, I was working in the police, obviously in the early nineties and, you know, mid nineties, I'd, I'd, I'd come, I'd come home and, and I'd finish work and, and I'd just be obsessed with learning every Nirvana song I could or every live song or, or Pearl Jam stuff was much harder, um, but trying to play that. And, and I'd be playing, you know, I'd have a meal and I'd, I'd be playing at seven o'clock at night and the next thing I'd see it's four o'clock in the morning, you know, and I'd have to go to bed. So I really, and I think when you, when I, you looked at some of those lyrics and some of the creativity that was there, I mean, a lot of it was probably inspired by substances, um, but it's just, just fascinating, fascinating life that ended, ended way too soon. Man, that is a phenomenal, uh, dinner party there, mate. And, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a seat on that table too. <laughs> I want to go to that one there, man. That's a really, that's an interesting, like, you know, wow, that's really cool. Love that. If I can help you unwind three financial decisions in your life, how much more money would you have right now? I'd have a lot because I tell you what, all I did was piss my money down the drain, everything I earned on skiing and going to Nepal for as long as I can remember. When I finally realised that I probably should buy a house, I'll tell you, I, I became a detective in 1990 and my first station was Fitzroy. And I'll tell you, I was driving around Fitzroy, Stefan, and there were houses for sale that were like 95,000, 110 grand, single fronted places in, um, you know, well, Gertrude Street everywhere. You know, you think, oh, who'd pay that for that? You'd be mad. Um, and, and I remember at the time I was living out in Heidelberg and I went to some auctions and around Rosanna and um, Heidelberg and, you know, I'd, I'd have, I had $170,000 to spend. And as soon as that auction got to $173,000, I was out, you know, tell them they're crazy, <laughs> tell them they're dreaming. So I just, and I waited and I, 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 and I, and I finally got in, but geez, I got in late. Um, so, you know, being probably more frugal would have definitely, if I just stopped spending my money on my passion, which was, you know, overseas trips and skiing, I'd probably have a lot more money. And if I'd bought into the property market a lot earlier, I'd, um, I'd be in a different position as well. So if you can fix that for me. <laughs> Mate, just very quickly, I, uh, my grandma, my grandparents home, their first one in Abbotsford, which was literally three, three houses away from the infamous Victoria Park, mate. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to talk about being born and bred into royalty and, yeah. uh, and, and, the, and the best real estate in, in the city back then, three doors away from Victoria Park. Hail. Anyway, we saw, mum and um, grandparents sold that house in the late 
mid 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 eighties, they sold that for about eighty thousand, and went to Reservoir. And literally last year, one of my relatives um, found that house being auctioned, and it went for two point seven million. And that and, and the people who had bought it originally off grandparents, they did nothing to it. Just amazing. So I love that sharing there because it's good advice. Well, uh, what is the uh, best uh, advice? What is the sorry. best advice you've ever been given and why? Um, yeah, look, I've had to think long and hard about this as well. And, and I, I probably didn't have a lot of really influ- influential role models um, when it came to giving me advice. And, and, I, and I wished I had more, but I didn't really seek them out either. But something that I was told um, by a climbing partner of mine who who died when we were on a climbing trip together in 2003. And, you know, when you start mountaineering and high altitude mountaineering, you start to get very good at suffering. And he said to me, privilege to the bonds developed through adversity. And that has always stuck with me because when you, when you get the opportunity to share real hardship um, and challenge and discomfort in whatever way, shape or form that might be with people, you really do form um, an amazing connection that, that will, would take a lot to derail. Um, so it's not really advice, um, but it's, you know, what do you take away from that? You know, what I take away from that is embrace the opportunities to share challenge, risk, uncertainty, um, not just for yourself, but for the people that mean something to you because it's a, an amazing way to heighten and build and develop um, your collective capacity, but your, your collective relationship. Yeah. And um, I actually wrote something down as you were just sharing that. And it's, um, again, it's, it's relish the moments. You just never know. You just never know. I mean, there's, everybody celebrates a birth date. And if we knew our death date, what difference would that make? <laughs> so relish the moments. And I, and I say that a lot to people when we're away, um, that are having a great time or they're having, they're having a, a great experience. There is a moment that is really amazingly good. And I, and I get them to stop and think and just understand this is a moment in time. This is just a moment in time. And, and there's going to come a time where we're back in our, we're back in our, um, in our work setting or our, our normal life and, and you'll seem so far away from it. So really relish it, really enjoy it, reflect on it, embrace it. And that goes for the hardship too, because you know, if you are, if you are at altitude and you're suffering, that's just a moment in time as well. That's going to be over. That's going to pass. What we're all going through at the moment with COVID, it's going to pass. Some days it doesn't feel like it is. It's frustrating. It'll pass. We'll get through. We're going to have this amazing reference point at the end of it um, that we can rely on, that we can, that we can 
use to work for us down the track. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, especially the good times make their moments. So you've got to just seize them and, and get everything you can out of them. Yeah, relish the moments. I mean, and good and bad are happening for reasons. And, mm. and, and, and sometimes we have no idea. I mean, my, my first mentor, and I think, I think I may have shared this with you in previous conversations, but he, um, I started working with him in 1994. And what he said to me is, Stefan, at every milestone birthday, and I was in my mid-20s at the time, he goes, at every milestone birthday, so the next one would be 30 and then 40 and 50, and he goes, mm. I want you to spend... Um, after three to four hours writing your obituary. <laughs> Not for what you are, but who you are becoming. Just mm. wise words from a very old and, for mm. me, very respected and very special man. Um, and and, and I've never let him down. I've, yeah, I've, right. I've, actually, I've actually got, I've got those reference points and it's really interesting to read I, I never reflect on what I wrote 10 years ago. I write and then I reflect and um, just some really good advice. It's not, it's mm. got nothing to do with what you are. It's got to do with who you are becoming because we're always on a journey and um, the journey for as long as you have zest and perspective, it never ends. Too true. Very, very true. So been a pleasure Nick Farr, regarded as one of Australia's most accomplished high-altitude athletes and leadership development coaches. Nick has climbed many of the world's highest mountains, including Mount Everest. He is a former police detective and one of Australia's favourite speakers on one of my favourite subjects called resilience. Nick Farr, it's been a pleasure and uh, I appreciate on behalf of my whole community here at Business Benchmark Group, we appreciate you sharing in our podcast as it relates to great Australian stories. And uh, thank you for your time this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, remember, embrace the grind. Embrace the grind, my friend. Peace and out. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Stefan. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.